Hello, I'm Renee, and you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour for Tuesday, April 7, 2015. On today's show, we take a look at Bone Gap, a new fantasy YA novel from author Laura Ruby. Then we go into full-on fangirl mode as we discuss Miss Marvel by G. Willow Wilson. Finally, we turn to short fiction and talk about And You Shall Know Her by The Trail of Dead by Brooke Bolander. With me today to talk about all of those things is my fellow fangirl accomplice, Anna. Hello, Anna. Hello, Renee. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. I'm great. So um, today um, we are recording this on the 30th of March. We released today the table of contents of the speculative fiction 2014 that you edited with Sean Duke. So how do you feel about that? It feels super weird to have my legal name on that blog post. It's really weird. Super weird. But, you know, not that I'm biased or anything, but that is a super awesome table of contents. I love the contributors that you chose for this. It's looking really great. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I don't think Venom knows what's coming at it. <laughs> I think it's going to be... So, okay. so no, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty exciting. I'm really excited for people to check it out and read it. I love some of these pieces. I, I mean, I like all of them, but there's some in here that I kind of want to take out yeah. and yeah, clutch to close to my chest. It's, yeah. I'm 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 really excited for people to finally see what we've been working on for months and months and months. This is yeah. not an easy job. P.S. Anybody who has never edited an anthology. This is, shit's a lot of work. It is. It's a lot of I work. I can vouch for that. And uh, I'm also really excited about the cover, which I just showed you the draft. I think people were... <laughs> I just, I'm very curious to see what people will think about that cover. Here is sneak peek, folks. I was in a gas station parking lot and she emailed me the cover and I opened it on my little tiny... I have this like, iPhone 4S. It's like the tiniest phone. And... I opened it and I screeched out loud and like the windows were up and the, there were people around us in other cars with their windows up and they looked at me. <laughs> That's how loud I squealed when I saw the cover. It's amazing. It's really I'm good. Really I'm really happy about it and I'm happy that you are happy. Yes, so. I'm really like, super excited about it. Cool. <laughs> All right, let's get started. Laura Ruby writes adult way and middle grade fiction. Her new book, Bone Gap, was published only a few weeks ago and is already garnering a lot of praise from readers, critics, and other YA authors. Set in the small town of Bone Gap, the book follows friends Raza and Finn and the terrifying ordeal of Raza's disappearance. So, Anna, you recommended this book to me. I was It was already on my reading list. I had swiped it from the library shelving cart uh, before it even got onto the shelves. Sorry, teenage readers. <laughs> Uh, you were too slow. <laughs> it was already on my thing, but you really liked it, and it sort of moved it really, it, like moved it up my reading list. So, what did you think about this book? I want to know what, like, I want to know your thoughts before I get into what I thought about it. Okay, I'm a little bit terrified about to hear what you have to say because <laughs> I, <laughs> I loved this book very much. First of all, I think it, it was the writing for me. Uh, sometimes I fall in love with prose that doesn't happen very often and her prose reminded me quite a lot of some of my favorite writers like Franny Blinsky did you read did you ever read Chime Renee I did read Chime that is an excellent book and PS yeah. listeners please please go out and uh read Chime immediately it's yeah exactly 
so it kind of reminded me of that so I really liked for the prose I liked the story I liked the way that you know it's set in a small town and then this girl disappears um, after come actually she shows up in that town out of nowhere no one knows who she is and she's kind of like really mysterious and beautiful and two brothers take her in and help her and then she disappears one day and one of the brothers actually sees her being kidnapped but no one will believe him so i thought the whole building up to the moment where we realized what happened to her and how was really well done i was tense i was wondering uh was finn the narrator lying was he being misled was there something that was paranormal supernatural about this novel and without spoiling too much we will go into it then down the road here yeah i was really taken with the story and the fact that um rosa the girl that disappears she's very beautiful and she's taken by someone that finds her very beautiful it kind of like subverts fairy tales because in a way this guy is so taken with the beautiful princess and he takes her to a beautiful place and gives her everything that she wants and yet of course you know she's saying no every step of the way she doesn't want that so there is this really interesting way of looking at that fairy tale aspect and then of course you have the question of beauty as well that is really interesting in the novel because Rosa is very beautiful and no one believes that she's just friends with Finn no one believes that they are not you know getting it on and and then there is someone else in the novel that is regarded as ugly and yet that's the person that Finn is in love with so there's just so much about this novel that is great and and what do you think about it I love this book I loved it I'm gonna have a really hard time critiquing it because I loved it so much Oh, first of all, phew, thank you. <laughs> you were really so worried. Glad. I'm so glad you loved it. It's really hard, isn't it, when you when you, when you love a book so much and you want a friend to love it. Mm-hmm. No, I've been there. As well. yeah. And you're so- absolutely right about the writing. When I read this book, it, it's really readable to start with. And the farther in you get to it, the, the more the writing gets richer and more... I say cutting, but I don't mean in like I'm. I don't mean like it's a, a like it. It makes it hard to to read. It's more like the insights the writing are making get more get deeper. Like they stab you, they stab you in the brain, in the heart. Like there was one line, like it, right after we get about 100 pages in, I think there was just one line, and I was like, okay, I'm in. You got me. Congratulations, <laughs> I'm hooked. And it, the writing actually reminds me of the the insightful way that some other YA authors sum up like social issues like fem- like racism and sexism and how girls have to operate in the world these days when the patriarchy is just so uh, present and overwhelming. Maggie Stavater is good at it. Sarah Reese Brennan is good at it. Brandy, Brandy Billingsley, who you mentioned. E. Lockhart, also really Fantastic. good at it. Yeah. All of them, fantastic, yes. <laughs> Although I haven't read her fiction, she often does it in her nonfiction writing, like on Tumblr, Tessa Gratton. She will also make like these really short sentences that just stab you with how, like, such an accurate summary of how women and girls have to operate to just survive and be 
human in a world that doesn't want to treat us like human beings. And this book is just did a really great job of that. It's also about perceptions. It does the small town nosiness thing in a way that's not mean. It's not actually, it's not like a cruel thing. It's just, it's a, you know, small towns are just that way. Everybody knows everybody else's business. But then everybody, because everybody knows everybody else's business, they also think they know the people involved. And that's just not true. Because even if you know what's going on in somebody's life, you, if you don't know them, you don't know how they're reacting. So all you can do is guess. And this book is a, about, a lot about how people, as John Green will say, don't imagine other people complexly. No, exactly. It's just like everybody's just looking at each other superficially, right? And I think there's a very astute observation of that in several terms, but I think most specifically, most especially in terms of how it relates to female sexuality and beauty and the concept of beauty. One of the things that I was really worried about reading it was how the author was going to get away with doing that without making beauty itself a villain. For example, the fact that Rosa was so beautiful, and and sometimes when authors write about that, they end up making the beautiful girl terrible or beautiful or beauty itself something to be disregarded. And I don't think that happened here. No, she really think, walked the line very well. Like, yeah, it, it wasn't the fact that people were beautiful that was a problem. It was the fact that people, other other people, would value value beauty yeah, in beauty ways that were certain- problematic. That is exactly what this book was about, exactly what it got so right. And that ending was amazing. Yeah. But that's spoiler territory. <laughs> Before we go into spoilers, actually, I want to talk about the way this book handled teenage sexuality and sex scenes. I was like, this is... I don't know what I thought. I don't know what I expected. Like, But I get... And I don't read a lot of way, so I don't know what to expect, but... Most of the time in YA novels, I've just been used to, like, really awkward writing about sex, you know? It feels like the author is self-conscious. But that didn't happen here. I think most surprising to me was that the book is from the perspective of a teenage boy, Finn. And it's obviously about his sexuality. The book does not shy away from the fact that he's thinking about sex quite often. And it doesn't shy away from sex scenes, but it also puts a really, like... It kind of rewrites this narrative that teenage boys only really care about their own pleasure. Yes, exactly. No, yeah. Because he's worried all the way through about PT, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I thought that was just a super nice touch. It, like, it I was, was like, super... I think one of the best things about Nova as well was the romance between them. Yeah, P.S. Was... Law Ruby, can I just have a novel where they're making out a lot? <laughs> I would think yeah. that. No, it was just... Yeah. That, that was one of the things that I liked the most about the novel as well. I think when in my review I said that this novel did romance well and it was romantic where it counted. And I think that I didn't quite elaborate on that in my review. So I'm going to try and do that here. Being romantic where it counts, what I mean by that, what I meant by that was that that relationship between Pity and Finn, it was hard and it was fraught and it was difficult to get going because they, they, they had all of these narratives inside themselves about each other, about them, and then getting through those so that they could reach each other. And then 
it happened in a way in the end where they had this conversation, where they just sat down and had this conversation. They said, I'm sorry to each other. And this is who I am. And this is who I am. And that was just, I don't know, it just knocked my socks off and warmed my heart. And I was kind of like really hugging the book by the end of it. Well, from here on in, it's going to be spoiler central. So if you haven't read the book, please go out and read it immediately. <laughs> you can get it from your library. Go, uh, or you can buy it at the bookstore. Go and read it. It's great. The book isn't specifically marketed as fantasy. It's marketed as magical realism, which I, I'm just really bad at magical realism. I don't really understand what that means because this book was fantasy to me. Maybe is magical realism just like like a like it's like a Venn diagram where you have fantasy and then magical realism is like a little circle in the corner, like. Like, no, oh, no, I... no, Renee. Do you want to? Do you want me to tell you? I don't understand. I, do you want me to tell you what I think about this? This is where people just trap uh, categorization into a book when they don't want to call it genre fiction, because they want to call it literary fiction. They add the magical realism to it if there is any element of fantasy. But listen, there is an actual underworld where this person takes Rosa through a gap in reality. There is nothing realistic about this. It's pure fantasy. I'm sorry to those who think this is magical realism. It is not. I will argue this point until the day I die. Well, I mean, I'm thinking about the book last week I can remember with, like, a trip to, like, an underworld, which was uh, Catherine M. Valenti's, uh the the Orphan Tales books. I think the second yeah. one. I think in the second one in the Cities of Coin and Spice, there's, like, a trip. And there's a moment in this book where Finn goes to the underworld. And the scene, the way it was written, like, he was seeing a lot of stuff as he was going, because he was swirling through the water down the river. And some of the things that he was saying, like, just pinged me for that book by Valente, like, some of the imagery. And I'm like, and at that point I was like, so if that's fantasy, if what she wrote was fantasy, why is this not fantasy? Why are we going, why are we being like, this is magic realism. This is fantasy. I'm sorry. Like, even on the front of the book, the book that I had, it was like, greatest magical realism, blah, blah. I don't even remember who, what it said. Uh, Wait. Bone Gap marks Laura Ruby as one of fiction's most original voices. This book is magic realism at its most magical. <laughs> e. Lockhart, I really love your writing, but I'm really confused about this magic realism thing. I'm real sorry. No, it's fantasy. I just, I, I can't think of a better description for this book. You know, there is corn that talks to Finn, and there are magical horses coming out of nowhere and animals yeah. and animals like understand Finn when Finn when he talks to them yes and then there's an actual trip to the wonder world where the villain keeps Rosa captive and there's a trickster character yes this book is definitely fantasy there is no doubt in my head that I could I could argue this point to death you know it's bone gap no the actual name of the town is because there is a gap where people go and disappear and come and go, you know. So it's part of the construct of this world. Even though there is no world building per se, it's kind of like more of a fairy tale even. The fantasy elements are definitely there. It is a fairy tale, but it gets subverted because you think 
that the whole point is that the princess is take is kidnapped by a villain and taken to a, a magical tower or a magical land, and her like her partner has to come rescue her. But in this story, it's just a fr- like the whole so town, the like the whole town thinks that you know, Sean and Finn and Rosa are shacking up and like some polyamorous fun times. But in truth. Uh, Finn and Rosa are just really, really good friends. So the book also tackles this idea of female and male friendship. The fact that so many people can't conceptualize the idea that the most important relationship between a man and a woman could be just friendship. It always has to be sexual. And it didn't get explicit about it, but because the whole point of the book is subverting the idea that Sean has to be the one to go and rescue Rosa. No, it has to be Finn. No, exactly. And Finn actually spends most of the book waiting for Sean to do something, right? He spends most of the book, why don't you go after her? Why don't you do this? Why are you not looking for her? And then he he takes upon himself, this, you know what? She's my friend. I'm worried about the, about her. I'm going I'm going after her. And and I also loved the relationship between Rosa and Peachy because they were also friends. And that, and that relationship between girls is also something that sometimes doesn't happen in books, and that was there as well. But then, but then Finn, as a friend, goes after Rosa, and in the end, they kind of save each other, which is actually really cool, because I was worried about the knight in shining armor going after the girl, the beautiful princess, and saving her. And there is an element to that, but she also saves herself. And she spends I, I, how long just saying no if you've ever been a woman in a world where no is not an acceptable answer to people, especially men. Saving herself is kind of an understatement, I feel, in that situation. Because how long did she spend with that with that man but, in that space yeah. saying no? Yes. Uh, that was so harrowing. All those, yeah, that whole, all those sections were like, oh god, I'm so, I was so terrified. I was, I was terrified. You know, you. It's really funny. I kind of wonder how men would read this book. I don't think that men would read this book the same way that women would read this book. Oh, because interesting. Because those sections where he's like, you're, he's like, I'll wait for you to love me. You you read that and you're like, oh God, you're going to get tired of waiting and you're just going to take what you want. That specter of rape covered those sections, right? And I'm yes, really... Yes, oh, for me, yes. Yeah, I right? Was and I'm... Exactly. That was my first time. How long is he going to go for this? How long is he going to wait? And I think I know where you're going with this next. You're going to say that anybody else reading this would find this very romantic. Some people might. like, And I'm just curious about how men would take it. Would they get that same like looming fear in these sections? Would they feel that? Do they have the experience of knowing what it's like to fear oh. that response from from men? Would they... Justin once wrote a review, Justin Landon, uh, of The Raven Boys, where he takes something away from that book that I just didn't get, but then he comes at it from a totally different perspective as a straight white man. And so while women are taking certain things away from The Raven Boys and its sequel, Dream Thieves, and Blue, Lily, Lily, Blue, that are specific to gender and the living in the world as a woman... I can't remember if he, if he said he saw those, but he just took something totally different away. So now I'm really curious about what men would say about this book. Would they read it and say the same things we're seeing? Or would they, because they don't have the experience, would they just brush by it? That is so interesting. So if you have, if you are one of our listeners and you happen to be, identif- have to identify as a man, if you read this book, 
Let us know yeah. what you think. Yeah, that I'm would curious. be really interesting, actually. That is a really, that is a really interesting question, Renee. Because for me, the, the threat was almost unbearable. The sense of danger, yeah. the sense of that something terrible is going to happen to this girl and I'm just not going to be able to cope with this. I was at the edge of my seat throughout this book. It also reminded me of the reaction that you also often see from men about ancillary justice, about the gender thing. Why does this matter? This is boring or stupid or, or it's a gimmick. But for women, it's like this amazing, it's like this really interesting piece of world building, right? It's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's energizing. And, but they have a totally different reaction to it. And I'm just curious if it's the same reaction. And it's really interesting that these books are cropping up like this, where they get such drastic, drastic differences in perspective in them, because sexism for women is so omnipresent. And yeah. for men, it's just not there. So they just have no way to conceptualize it. And so when they read books with it, where it's a, an integral part of the narrative and the important to the characters and what they're going through they and they don't have those experiences does it like it changes the book it makes that book completely different that yes that's true so and now i'm i'm trying now i'm i'm racking my brains to see to try and, and remember whether i've seen this book reviews anywhere but then i realized that most of the people that i read that write about YA are women women mm-hmm so I don't think I have seen any... Fangirl Happy Hour Challenge, dudes. Read and review this book. Read and review Bone Gap by Laura Ridley. You have been challenged. So I really like this book. I really want everybody to read it. I think it's so lovely. I'm really glad that I stole it off I, the shelving I, cart at my library. I'm so glad you think that as well. I think it's probably going to be one of my top ten this year. I wouldn't be surprised. Me neither. I'm pretty much expecting to see it on your list. <laughs> I'm going to be really shocked if it's not there. So, five Bs out of five for Bone Gap. Yeah. Says, says uh, B, Princess, and a girl. Yes. Bone Gap was published by Balzer Plus Bray on March 3rd and is available now from your retailer of choice. You can find more fiction from Laura Ruby at lauraruby.com. Miss Marvel, a new comic featuring Kamala Khan, Pakistani-American teenage girl from Jersey City, is written by G. Willow Wilson and illustrated by Adrian Alfana, and has been breaking records all over the comics industry. Miss Marvel is the first comic from Marvel to follow a Muslim lead character and tells the story of Kamala, regular girl turned superhero with shape-shifting abilities, as she navigates her life as a girl, a Muslim, and a person with a huge superheroic secret. And I love this comic, and I can't say anything bad about it, so I hope you loved it too. <laughs> Uh, yes, I loved it as well. With a couple of reservations. Oh no, I knew so it! <laughs> no, I knew it was coming. Uh, I just, like, I'm gonna be that awful person raining on everybody's diversity parade, I guess. Oh, no, I love this comic. It's so cute. It's it so is cute. so cute. It is so cute. And I, well, let's start with what we love about it. And okay, then that's I'll, fair. And then, then I'll, I'll dive into what made me a little bit uneasy. I loved it. Do you know what I love the most about this? Is that it's an origin story, you know, proper origin story. Like from the very beginning of this character's life as a superhero, from the moment she gains her powers to the moment where she starts to learn how to use them. It's kind of really cool. It reminds me a little bit of Spider-Man and his origin stories because they were both teenagers when they got their powers. So it's kind of a, like 
a YA superhero, right? Yeah. Which is, yeah, so it's really cool in that way. And, of course, there is the question that she's Pakistani-American, and I find that super cool as well, especially with the way that it portrays her family life and her very specific, you know, questions about who she is and her identity as a person, as a Muslim, as a girl, as a teenager, as a geek. I love that she's a fangirl. Yes. I, I love... No, I, right, I love that this story doesn't deny that this is a world of superheroes. So it's not kind of like, you know, oh, I'm a superhero. I'm the only superhero in the world. No, she's not the only one. She knows that there are others. She she's a she's a fan of Iron Man and the Avengers and Captain Marvel, who used to be Miss Marvel, who is the superhero that she becomes. So I kind of like this sense of continuity of, you know, it's within a world that knows of superheroes. So that kind of might kind of like makes it easier for her to recognize what is happening to her, that it's a superhero arc. I also love how to start with, when she gains her powers and she can like transform and look like someone else, she looks like this blonde, all-American um, superhero that used to be Miss Marvel, the first Miss Marvel. And I, I find that really interesting, the way that it challenges this idea of an all-American superhero. Because, of course, Kamala is also American. And why can't she be a superhero looking exactly like she does? She can. And, in the, and that's her journey in this first arc. I know that you love this. Why do you love it so much? Really, it's the family relationships and the friendships. I, I mean, obviously, all the stuff that you said it is good. I'm not going to repeat what you said. It was all great. But really, for me, like this, the heart of this book was her relationships with her family. Like they're complicated and awkward, and the relationships with her friends, where sometimes they just don't understand her. Sometimes they don't get along. Sometimes. They're absolutely 100% there for each other. It just feels so familiar. Yeah, it's it's like any girl. This is this is I think what is most relatable about this, this her arc. It's just that she's just a teenage girl. And some of the world building done here, especially in regards to her religion and her culture, they don't info dump it. They don't drown you in explanatory this is you know stuff about Islam. They don't drown you and stuff about people who are Pakistani. They just put it on the page and you have to pick it up as you go. And I think that's really important because I think that some, when some people write like diverse characters, they just spend it explaining all the things they read on Wikipedia. And that's not really entertaining. The way they did it here, it just invites you into this other culture that has this really deep, rich history, its own values, its own, its own traditions. Like the scene when they're... I guess they're like a they're at prayer and they're behind a screen. The dialogue and the way they interact tells you. And then if you want yeah. to know more, you can just go look it up. But they don't derail from the story to explain it to the dumb white Americans who don't understand what's happening. And I think that's and I, lovely. 
that that scene is actually really good as well because it kind of like presents a challenge to that partition itself because you have the girls in one side and the boys on the other side and you have the girls i, I found the, the the drawing of that division really interesting because it showed girls like doing their own thing some of them were like you know on their mobiles and couple of others were like, you know, we are here, I cannot listen to you because, you know, we are on this side of the partition. Kind of like, you know, really challenging and really questioning the partition itself, which is really interesting. And part of I liked about it, but also what makes me a little bit uneasy about it. Makes you uneasy. So you have to unpack that. Unpack that uneasy for me. Put it on the table. Disclaimer, I am not Pakistani-American and I am not Muslim. But I do wonder, I do question if the portrayal of those characters are not too stereotypical. I wonder if, because G. Willow Wilson is Muslim, is a convert Muslim, but she's not Pakistani-American. And I wonder if the way that she portrays this family isn't a little bit based on what an outsider would immediately recognize as Pakistani-American. I cannot answer this question, but this is something that I do wonder about. We can say that diversity is good. We can say that showing a Pakistani-American teenager as a superhero is fucking amazing. And we can also say that there is not one way of representing Pakistani Americans, because obviously there's diversity within diversity. I question and I ask those questions because I think there are important questions to be asked. And and so I think we can argue that these are all okay, because like I said, there's just not one way of showing a Pakistani American family, for example. There is just one thing that I th- that made me more uneasy than anything else. And it's the brother. Uh, Kamala's brother, there is a scene, a very particular scene, when Kamala was out all night and she comes home and everybody's worried about her and her brother hugs her. And I'm going to read from from the comic now. And he hugs her and he says, it's going to be okay. I'll get the brothers from the mosque and we will beat the ever-loving snot out of whoever hurt you. And I think this is a very prejudicial and it's a very complicated portrayal of a young man that is a, is a devout Muslim. He's represented as a devout Muslim. And the fact that she goes there and she gets this guy to say, "We are go- I'm going to get my brothers from the mosque and I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And that just completely ruined the character of the brother for me. And I, I was actually really, whoa, this, I don't think this is okay at all. And this is the only moment where I went, Ugh, this is, I don't, I don't like this. I cannot say with certainty that other people would feel this way, but I feel like I can raise that issue. Do you know, that goes back to the fact that I am so used to seeing my own culture misrepresented in fiction and in TV and in movies that I kind of, I, I'm, I'm always hesitant when reading a, a diverse representation done by someone that is from outside a culture. For example, recently there was, I think a couple of years ago, there was a, a book, a white book, a YA book called uh, The Summer Prince. 
and it's in a futuristic Brazil, and I felt that most of the things that were represented in that book about Brazil were stereotypical things that an outsider would look at. It's just the most immediate portrayal of a culture because it's recognizable for outsiders. And although I, I liked a lot of things about that book, I was really upset about that. And I know that there are other Brazilians who read the book and feel the same way as well. But then again, there might be others that don't because we know we are not a new niche. Like You're not a monolith. 200 million Brazilians in the world. And so every time I think about diversity, and I think it's really important that we have diverse books, as well. of course it is, but I think it's also important that we don't lose sight of questioning the portrayal of diversity when necessary. That's interesting that you had the reaction to the brother, because I never read him as devout at all. Well, yes, yes, I know. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I think you could, but I... I mean, I think I know too many deadbeats, which is probably my problem. I know, I know too many rednecks who are just worth a waste of space. But I read him as putting on an act. Like, he was like he, like he was legit just wearing the culture as, like, a coat. Does that make sense? But that's yeah, also yeah. interesting to question. Why would you represent a character that way? Exactly. So, so I'm not really sure what to say about him because like, obviously the fact that he's like I'm gonna we're gonna go beat the crap out of people is that's a very it's a very American like meathead American teenage boy sentiment. But it's also one that uh, that you usually use to describe young Muslim men and so to, in, to incite fear in people's minds that you know the people will get together in the mosque and they're gonna beat the shit out of you to defend the honor of the women. So it's really like his like his character in this book is it's, he's not in it a lot, but it's a no. really interesting way. And I wonder if that's part of the problem that he's just not there as much. So because he's not there as much, she she's got less space to work with. So she he, maybe he he becomes he he picks up some stereotypical behaviors that then yeah. therefore become a problem. Uh, yes, I, th I think I think that's probably that's probably what happened. And you know, it doesn't negate everything else that is good about the comic. It doesn't negate that it's such an important comic, uh, and it doesn't negate that it's a fun comic either. But I think it's worth. I think for me, it's worth mentioning it. I think I wouldn't feel comfortable uh, saying I loved this without saying that I also had a problem with this. I didn't even see that. So. That's interesting to point out. But then again, I just loved... I read this comic twice because I was like, this is the greatest. No, I loved it. I gave it to my partner even. I said, this is a really important thing. You should read it. It's really cool for everything that I said, actually. And um, and I agree about the relationships that you mentioned as well. And I loved her relationship with another Muslim girl who is actually Turkish and has a different relationship with uh, being a Muslim and chooses to wear the headscarf, whereas Kamala doesn't. And I think that's a really good, interesting way of portraying how different girls behave differently within Islam. And there, because obviously there's the problem that we have with white Western feminism, where they kind of, where it has a problem with representing different cultures, especially different religions, where we try to kind of impose ourselves 
on to the culture and the religion and go, you're oppressed, you're being held down. And they're like, well, why don't you ask us before you decide? And I really liked that this comic showed like the range of like a range of experiences across these different yes. girls that we've seen and the way that they're interacting with American culture, engaging with the culture and assimilating to the culture in various ways while also retaining some of the, their own culture. We just don't see that a lot, right? Because no. often when often when you get people writing who aren't from the culture writing diverse characters, we're just seeing like one representation, and it becomes really kind of hard to critique it because there's just one. There's just that one character, and it's a diver- like and everybody's like it's a diverse character when there's just one of them, and everything else behind them is the same. It's the same, yeah, exactly. But that's kind of but that the comic kind of subverted that. I think they showed the background of Kamala's life in ways that showed that she was just one girl struggling with these issues or other girls around her that she's friends with that are also yeah. going through the same things that she is in different ways. Because obviously she's the only, she gets to be the superhero. So, no, that's yeah. A superhero. yeah, which is awesome. And I love powers as well. Yes, Although... it's, so, it's, it's so great. <laughs> I love the scene where she's in the gym. Oh, yeah. And she's, she's getting, like, she's trying to learn how to, she's getting bigger. And then there's a scene where after she finally asks Bruno for help, and she makes her legs really long and runs really fast. And she's, like, standing there with her hands on her hips. Which, P.S., artists that draw women with hands on their hips, I love you. I love that pose. I want all, I want all female superheroes to, like, stand around with their hands on their hips. It makes me really happy. But, her like, her legs are super long and she's grinning. And I'm just like, this is so, this is so great. Because I, I really like why fiction when it's really well done. And I, and I read a lot of comics and it's just not, it doesn't have that tone that way does right no. so when i find a comic that has a really not like a really great wide tone it's just i just want to hold on to it and i think yes. miss marvel does it just does that tone that wide tone perfectly i agree i agree i actually already um pre-ordered the second volume so i hear wolverine comes into this i am i've read i, 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 I get an issue I, by I, issue i'm saying nothing <laughs> I'm saying nothing. I am, I am all over that shit, man. I just, I'm gonna love this. Miss Marvel is published by Marvel Comics. You can find the first volume at your local comic shop or online via Comixology or other comic re- retailers. You can learn more about the author and artist at gwillowiston.com and sweetbazaar.com. If you've read Miss Marvel, we'd like to know what you think, so let us know. And You Shall Know Her by The Trail of the Dead by Brooke Bolander is a novelette released in the February 2015 issue of Lightspeed. Set in a grim future where synthetic humans are grown to do the dirty work left to the dregs of society, Rye is angry, damaged, and alone until she's taken in by Quiet Rack. And they form their very own team, which, at the start of this story, is threatened by a job gone bad. Anna, this... You suggested we read this because I suggested that you read it at some point. I'm not actually sure how this happened. <laughs> well, you read it first, and I think that you said that you liked it and had things to say about it. So I got curious and suggested that we read for the podcast. So I'm going to ask you to go first. Do you want my thoughts first? This yes. story is really weird. I think I think I liked it, but I also think that I didn't like the main character. Oh, okay. I feel a little bit better now. And okay. I have a specific reason for why. It's that the language and whatever, I can handle some filthy language. It's not that's not the issue. It's the 
is, the, is, this, is, the, is that she keeps threatening to rape people. It's the sexual violence in the language. It's just, oh my god, thank you so much, Renee. Oh, it's god. really, it's really weird. Like, I was just like, it's, what? And I couldn't figure out why she had, she was. She had to go there. There is absolute. There's well. There's no reason. Anyway, well, I mean, I was but, trying to figure out if it was a characterization thing, right? I was like, did something happen in her past to make her to make her language so sexually violent? Like, what? I was trying to figure out if there was a characterization reason for it. But because short fiction, it's short. It's that's the whole point of short fiction. It's short, so the story just didn't have enough space to justify why she was using the, and it that, was very specific type of sexual language right sexual violent yeah. language because it, yeah. it was like a male gaze it language was male, yes like it was like the character she was supposed to be a woman she was synthetic but woman presenting woman identifying and this language came from a male gaze perspective that's how it read to me it was, it's like if you go into a book and the women the women in the book are described by their body so you can tell a man wrote it <laughs> It was just really off-putting, and it really got, like, in the way of me just out and out enjoying the story, because I, I like the idea of a society like this, and I like the idea of these, what it means to be human, what it means to be marginalized in this way, and I like team fic. That's a thing. That's one of yes, my buttons. So I absolutely yes. Same with me. Like the the, the team building between the two of them and and, and was the great. That was really good. It was great. That was best. And you know, and the fact that also she was kind of like this character who didn't need anyone, and then in the end she had to give in and and allow other people to take care of her and do do what she used to do, which is save the day, and she had to to let him do what he knew what to do. Anyway, so that was great, and kind of realizing that sometimes you need other people's help. So I kind of like really liked that arc in that in that way, and the way that they related to each other, and kind of like you know maybe there is some romantic feelings there, but not the point. It was the partnership that was really well done. But the entire thing is like rooted in that really strong language and most of it it's fine i can i can handle you know all the, all the fucks and shit yeah that's not, that wasn't my problem it was definitely the it was it was the way that do you want me to shove this gun up your ass it was really specific sexual assault language and it was just really off-putting which made me it, not like this I liked everything when it was her and Rack. But then uh, when yes. she was by herself talking, I was like, oh, I just want you to shut up, kind of. No, <laughs> it was... Just really... And I find it really interesting because I, I, I looked up, I, 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 I searched for reviews. Now, the, the vast majority of reviewers talk about the language, the use of language, which they found to be amazingly well done. Oh. Well, I, once again, Anna, we are outliers. We are outliers because, you know, yeah, okay, fine. It's amazingly well done to describe this character as hard as, but it doesn't negate the fact that there is very sexual violence. And I couldn't figure out why it was there. I just couldn't figure it does, out. There is, no, there is no point to it. There is absolutely, you are completely right. There is absolutely no point to it. And maybe that is the point, but at, at the same time, though, I, I don't think I need this in my life then. It was really, it felt really self-conscious to me, right? It felt really like 
it was a woman trying to put on a certain type of characterization and write from that character's perspective, but not managing to do it. So it just comes off really self-conscious. And the male gaze that they're trying to adopt becomes really obvious. I don't know what the uh, intentions, author's dead, et cetera, et cetera. But I was just really confused. I was honestly just really confused. No, yeah. I could I have thought... used, I could have used, like, it could have stayed, she could have stayed foul-mouthed and rude, but I could have the really done without way. the sexual violence. Metaphors yeah. and similes and lines and... Yes, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. I was just, I actually, I was really worried because, you know, you recommended it and, and... Well, you said that you wanted to talk about things. Yeah. So I was hoping that that was the point that you wanted to talk about. Because <laughs> Otherwise, that you're was like... A, that was exactly how I felt. I was like, oh, <laughs> what, what is it that I'm reading? What am I supposed to be getting out of this? Renee, what did I you mean, write this to me for? And I was like, no, I actually, you know, it's not bad. I actually liked the story for for what we said, especially the, re- the relationship, the partnership, and the ideas of, you know, of this world in the future where there are people that are kind of like artificial intelligence and that behaves like, that behave like humans but are not treated as such so that is that is a really good interesting um conceit right so that's fine but like it's the language and it's not i'm i'm i hope that people don't think that we're coming across as crudes that can deal <laughs> I hope with not. Fucking, <laughs> fucking language but because that's not our point at all but I no it's really specifically the it's, it's specifically that that very explicit sexual violence language that it's not the whole, it's not throughout the whole story. Like sometimes she talks and then she's fine, but it's when she just gets into that really, it's just really awkward. It's really uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Not in a good, and not in a good, uh, uncomfortable and not a good way. No, yeah, exactly. Not, not in a way that it's challenging or questioning the usage of those words because there is not, not, that it's it's not there. And actually, um, I read a review. I read a review by Amal at Tor, and I specifically found it because I googled it. I googled Russian, like I had googled Russian, the story title in Russian to see if anybody else had the same problem that I did in the story with the fact that these the villains were like Russian, and they did not speak proper English. And I was just oh, okay. Yeah. I get really, and she had the same criticism that I did, which was it was just really off putting. I just want everybody to make their villains white dudes. Um. Which is probably mean. Whoops! It just felt really. It just felt like a really stereo. Like I said, like, like yeah. just tossed a bunch of stereotypes into the end of the story. I was like, okay. I mean, I guess that's fine. You want to have like a really distinct villain, but it, it felt really weird to me that she made her main character so distinct in her in her language, but then kind of and then goes back. Kind, yeah, step, but kind of tapped out. Back. Yeah, exactly. With and the just, the language of the yeah. villains, because. Rai and Rack both have very distinct personalities and ways of speaking, and you can tell because the narrative shifts from Rai to Rack at the end of the story. So I was just really curious about why in the world that she made these two main characters so distinct with their own speech patterns and ways of communicating, but then the villains got to be like mustache twirling Russian dudes that yeah. were just hugely huge stereotypes. And that was a little weird. So I both like the story and want like really like this kind of destructive, angry, because obviously we have this problem where in a lot of fiction, women can't be angry. It's not a thing you do. Yeah. But I really yeah. liked that part, that she was so angry and she expressed it and she didn't hold it inside and she didn't let people silence her. I liked that part. I just wish that I had liked her yeah. communication style a little bit more, I guess. Yes. 
Yeah, that, that's a ni- really nice way of putting it. That's exactly how I felt as well. And I forget who re- I forget how I found this story. I think I think I just saw it on Twitter. I think somebody tweeted it on, out on Twitter, and I just I clicked on it randomly. Um, I had because at that point I hadn't started reading reading the Quick Sip reviews review site yet. That yeah, um, Charles from Nerds with Other runs. Generally, if he reviews it, I will go and I'll bookmark it. But it kind of reminds me of you're reading a story, and it's, it's very obvious when the authors try to change their voice. Were the authors deliberately putting on another? Well, is that true of everything, every single thing that they? Yeah, write? I mean, yeah, it is. But it's like they're trying, but they're not managing it, so it's coming across very strangely. Very forced, would mm-hmm. you say? Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Okay. So I kept getting jarred out of the narrative because of the sexual violence in the language, well, and also because the writing itself felt really self-conscious. Well, yeah, I kept, I kept being charged because of the language as well, and um, not in a good way, and it felt very... I wondered how uh, triggery that... Oh, yeah, this is super triggery. When, I po- when uh, we post this, we'll be like, guys, this is a super triggery yeah. story. Trigger warning for everything. Yes. <laughs> if this yes. was on AO3, you'd have to lose, like, all the tags, all the warning yeah. tags, all of them. I, f- I felt I felt um, punched in the face. It's kind of way to put it. Which is, yeah. Which I think was uh, maybe part of the point. Like I think maybe, maybe that was. Maybe it was. Yeah, maybe it was. But it's it's just really it was very uncomfortable. The, the sexual violence was very uncomfortable for me. So I just I didn't like it as much as I could have. And I mean, there were good there were good things happening here. Like I would totally yeah. read like a full novel set in this world. That would be fascinating. Yeah. Where people can just hook into computers and these the synthetic humans and the humans have issues that'd be really an interesting world to explore. I really yes. enjoyed the world building in the story. I really like like I really wanted more of it. And less sexual violence language. Yes. Thank you very much. This is not too much to ask, is it? Oh I mean no. Please, 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 please <laughs> all authors cater to my needs and desires. Yes, of course. Just change everything that you write because of us. Yes. So say we all. God, we're assholes. Oh my God, Renee, but I actually feel relieved that you said that as well because that's my only note. I actually wrote it down. This. Let me open it here. You wrote down a lone note going, why did you reread this? No, I wrote down one of the one of the things that she says that I felt was just like like Rex, say something before I come over there and do something kinky shit to your ass with this gun barrel place. And it's like it just sounds so jokingly. It's uh, it, it it's that I I just I I just cannot even express myself properly because this it's so frustrating to me that there is no use for this language because it's just so violent and it's sexual violence. It's not cool. And it's like, do I even need to say this? Apparently. Well, well, this is the problem that I have with short fiction. <laughs> Half the time when I have a reaction to it, I, because I'm not good at it, because I'm not experienced in reading it, I think I'm reacting wrong. There is no such thing as reactive. Yeah, you say that, but have you ever been in, like, a college course with, like, a doctor 
yes. of literature and a bunch of grad students who look at you when you're trying to analyze a story and give your yeah. reaction, and they just look at you like you're you have an IQ of five, and you're yeah, also and a space are, alien. Uh, obviously, they are all wrong. Like, because that's how, like, that's my experience with, like, in the analyzing and drinking short fiction classes where all, like, all these students just treat me like I'm a complete idiot. So I'm just, so I second guess myself. I gave this story to a bunch of different people and had them read it. And it was like, am, am I, am I wrong? Am I, am I re- overreacting? Am I being, like, a jerk? And every single one of them came back and was like, well, that's 20 minutes of my life. I'm never getting back. <laughs> And I just really, and I don't know, maybe it's just the community I come out of that we just don't, if we're going to use like this kind of language, it's going to be for a reason. And I just really wanted more of her backstory. I wanted to know more of what happened to her because it was, I mean, they talk, it, the story talks about it a little, but it's not really as fleshed out as it could be because there's only like 11,000 words there. And I feel like if I'd gotten more of her backstory and I knew more about where she came from and why she ended up in that alley and why she ended, how she ended up with Rack. I would have understood the sexual violence that she uses yeah. in her language much better. But because that space was not there, it's a short piece of short fiction, and she's kind of hard to to get to know her and to understand where she's coming from. Okay, there's another thing that I, that I thought about with regards to the ending of the story. Because in the end, you know, they kind of like, they swap genders. You know, they start off as identifying or what I read as identifying as a female, right? Mm-hmm. And Rack as male. And in the end, his consciousness is downloaded into her body and her consciousness is downloaded into another guy's body. And I felt like, is there not going to be anything about this? Like, is, it, is this okay? Because they are now a female-identifying person trapped into a male's body and vice versa, and there is nothing... Is this not, not going to go anywhere? We need a sequel, clearly, <laughs> to figure out maybe. what happened. Or, you know, we can take a step further, and maybe they don't identify at all as male or female because they are not human. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I didn't, think, I'd, I didn't really think about it on that... On an axis, but it might be that might be while I'm I'm having such a hard time with this particular piece of fiction. So I don't know. I think I think it's an interesting piece that you know raises all of these questions, and there are good things about it. But I think overall, I felt too it was too jarring and uncomfortable for me in terms of the sexual language used. I agree, but I really think people should read it to make up their own minds, and then they can let us know what they think. Yes, <laughs> think we're totally uh, like I think we're totally making shit up or pulling stuff out of our yes. ass. Please let us know, especially yeah. if you have more experience reading short fiction, which I don't have. And you shall know her about the Trail of the Dead was published in February 2015 and is available for free online at Lightspeed Magazine. You can find more of Brooke Bolander's work at brookbolander.com. Recommendation time. Anna, you're up first. What do you have this week? So I was really ill last week, right? And I was off sick on Thursday and Friday from work. You could probably tell by how I sound, which is awful. Um, And I ended up binge-watching the new Netflix original show called Bloodline. I binge-watched that in two days, 13 episodes, 
because I couldn't stop watching it. And it's not fantastic. I have several problems with it, uh, including the fact that the female characters do nothing and have like really small roles, plus the fact that the entire cast is like this white, washed thing on my screen, even though the show is set in Miami. But I did watch without stopping to eat or go to the loo even, because... <laughs> I know, because, you know, it's it's a family drama about this um, family that has four siblings with the older sibling coming back home for this event. And then when he comes back home, you realize that he's the black sheep of the family. And why is that? And how does that develop is part of what it makes the, the show so interesting, because the character is fascinating, but all the more so because the actor is just this mind-blowing, fantastic actor. I had not heard of him before. He's this um, Australian actor that probably seems like he's well-known in Australia. I had not seen him in anything before. His name is Ben, ben Mendelsohn, and he's just, he blew my mind away with the portrayal of Danny, and I ended up loving this character so much, even though the character is not a good person at all, but he has his motives, and like I, I just love the tortured character, and, and he plays Danny, the eldest son of this family, and the, the, the next son the sibling closest to him is played by Kyle Chandler, a.k.a. Coach Taylor. So it's kind of like the Coach Taylor adventures in Miami with his oldest brother, Danny. And they face off multiple times. And it's just, it was riveting. And I recommend, because of the acting of these two actors, it was amazing. And yeah, that's my recommendation for today. What about you, Renee? Is it cool to recommend a recommendation? I don't... I feel like we're going a little inception here. So I'm trying to get into Marvel Comics. Uh, it's really hard because comics are painful. <laughs> I've read Captain Marvel. I've read Miss Marvel. I'm reading Black Widow and Bucky Barnes on our soldier. So I'm, I'm getting there. But a lot of people have continuously recommended Young Avengers. In fact, Tansy Rayner Roberts from Galactic Suburbia, friend of the podcast... Uh, often talks about Young Avengers, and that's where I think I heard about them first. But recently, Memory posted a recommendation for Young Avengers, talking about what to read and where to start and how, like, what was important. And it's just a really great overview, and it helped me figure out what volumes I needed, which is a really big problem because once they're out of issues and they go to volumes, sometimes it's like the problem we had with Captain Marvel, right, where they rebooted it, and so the the end of that little arc went into a book called Avengers, the Enemy Within, and I had no clue. I had no clue how to find it. I didn't even know. Like, I was looking for like a a, a volume titled Captain Marvel. I wasn't. I was gonna. I wasn't gonna ever look for an Avengers title. Basically, comics confuse me. But Memories Post is excellent. It it's, it's a great overview, and she talks about like her like her favorite characters and why the. Young Avengers are a great team to read about, and I highly recommend her post if you, like me, are trying to slowly get into Marvel without your head exploding. 
I want to get into um, recent new Avengers as well, and I have no clue where to start. Well, her post is good, and everybody, like, I talked to, like, a lot of people that I really trust seem to like this. Tansy likes it, and Memory likes it, and some other, other people that I know often reblog a lot of gifts from it. It's got some really diverse characters, which I didn't really know about. I is didn't... that the one that has the gay couple? I think so, yeah. Okay, cool. So, Maybe yeah, we can talk highly, about this in the podcast. Maybe we can. Highly recommended. That, that post podcast. is excellent. You just want to talk about everything. You're like, let's talk podcast. about everything in the podcast. Everything in the podcast. Anna, thanks for talking with me this week. Uh, you're welcome. You can find links to some of the things we discussed today at fangirlhappyhour.com or on our Tumblr at fangirlhappyhour.tumblr.com. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com or find our Twitter feed at fangirlpodcast. For both myself and Anna, thanks for listening. See you next episode.